ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Okay. Chat GPT. Write me an intro for a story on AI doomsday for QuickSmart. Within a month or so of its launch, ChatGPT had 100 million users. Suddenly, AI was doing our assignments, designing our branding, proofreading our emails, planning out holiday itineraries, and in the process of absorbing all this information, AI has been learning a great deal about us humans. And yeah, I know, whenever AI comes up, there's always someone hand-wringing about the fact it's going to end us all, but stay with me. Some people think it's a pretty rational fear. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, a show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So why are people in the know so pessimistic about the future of AI? Shouldn't they be excited about it? How soon will artificial intelligence eclipse human intelligence? And what happens if AI decides it's had enough of us? Someone who spent a lot of time in the darker corners of the internet <laughs> is Angela Bobpierre. Hi, Ange. <laughs> oh, hi. Hi, Deeds. <laughs> Why does it feel like AI has really exploded this year? Because we have had versions of artificial intelligence for decades now. Yeah, it's taken big leaps forward. We have AI that is significantly more sophisticated than we did before. Not only that, more sophisticated than it was projected to be. So it is developing at this incredible pace. And at the same time, I started noticing all these quite serious people in AI really worried about, I mean, there's there's no easy way to say this, but AI doomsday. And I had to know how seriously to take that for obvious reasons. So yeah, I've been investigating it for background briefing for the last six weeks. Can we go back to basics for a second? What is this sort of new generation of AI kind of called and why are they so powerful? Yeah, so this is the thing. Okay, so AI is like this catch-all term. There's AI in elevators. There's AI that like serves you on your streaming service that tells you what to watch. And then there's the AI that has really wowed the world in the last 12 months. And this is often referred to as generative AI. We've got a bunch of AIs that do narrow tasks in the world. It's like they can do this one thing or this other thing, but where AI is heading is training it to do more complicated tasks and have more independence and more agency. So in putting together this story for background briefing, I spoke to Professor Joshua Bengio. So he's one of three so-called godfathers of AI, named because they really were the ones who got us to this point that we are now, this kind of AI boom. I mean, look, team effort, but they made some pretty big breakthroughs. He's actually one of the people who was an optimist. He was a total optimist. I mean, he spent his entire career trying to get us as fast as possible towards, you know, human-level AI, and he's essentially just switched teams. What he said to us was that he planned to spend the rest of his life trying to slow it down and prevent catastrophe from happening. So let's talk about what the actual concern is here, because from the way you're talking, it sounds useful and good. What are experts worried is going to come of this? 
So everyone agrees that we should worry. Within that group, which we're calling everyone, you have the group of people who say, oh, we're really worried about how AI will be misused in the short term, whether that's misinformation or used by criminal organisations, you know, any kind of nefarious activity that we already do as humans, using AI to kind of amplify those goals, those efforts. Uh, And then you have this emerging group, which I've been observing, which if you're being unkind, you would call them the doomers. (laughs) This is the way that they are spoken about. And they say, yeah, 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 sure. The short-term risk, yeah, absolutely. Some people suck. And if you give them this powerful tool, then that's going to be a problem. Yes. But the thing that we're more concerned about, and we think in some ways is a more urgent concern, is a risk that AI is fundamentally misaligned with humans. And that at the moment, we don't have super powerful AI. And so that's not so scary because like, maybe you tell the AI to do something and it doesn't do exactly what you want, but you've only given it this one small task. But they're looking ahead to a time not not very far into the future, like maybe 10, 15 years into the future, where we do have ultra sophisticated AI that is woven throughout every layer of society, like really important influential systems, military, government, banking, business. And that if in that instance, there is this little flaw that was built in now or even earlier, which is this mismatch, this misalignment, as it's called, that when you fast forward 10, 15 years, the consequences of that misalignment are much more significant. Talk to me about this question that AI industry folks are talking to each other about, P-Doom. So if you're in AI circles uh, in Silicon Valley or something and, you know, you're going and hanging out with other people who work in AI, you might be asked, what is your P-Doom? What they're asking is, what probability do you give that AI leads to doom? And they're like, they're kind of kidding, but they're also quite serious. Like some of the people we've spoken to who are, again, like Joshua Bengio, for example, has a P-Doom of 20. 20%. That is 20%. And look, doom is a byword. It's a silly byword. But really what they're talking about is a loss of human control. We are outgunned by a, a more sophisticated opponent. And that opponent is on some level hostile. This is terrifying and I'm regretting the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my last six weeks. (laughs) So we're in an arms race. What's the timeline for this 20% perhaps likelihood of the decline of humanity? So it really depends how you cut doom, right? But I think everyone's really got their eyes on when we're going to reach human level. And there are so many different ways to measure that. You know, one of the the safety experts we spoke to was saying, like, in some ways, AI already surpasses us. Like, it can code. She was, she's a coder. It can code faster than she can. The other day, a team of researchers in China had a AI built a computer and they did it a thousand times faster than humans could. AI exceeds us in a number of areas. It doesn't exceed us in all. We're not there. This is an important thing because I think when science fiction has imagined the singularity, it was like, bing, like one day the robot would like open its eyes, um, like, you know, (laughs) Sleeping Beauty style and then be, you know, murderous or friendly or whatever you imagine it to be. But it's actually in reality not likely to be as sudden as that. It's likely to be quite gradual and 
uneven across different fields. But look, if we just take a broad view, we used to say mm, 2050. Now it's looking more like the late 2030s. And the most bullish predictions have it at like a three-year timeline. And at that point, this kind of world that I've been describing where you have AI and all these powerful decision-making roles, that is sort of theorized as the obsolescence regime. So that's the moment we've gradually handed over a bunch of important tasks to, to AI and not really been able to check its working along the way, not ever solve the misalignment problem, which everyone agrees is an issue, by the way, and it does turn out to be dangerous. Surely there's an equal and opposite scenario, though, where it brings us into a beautiful golden age, where AI is helping us live better and make better decisions and save the planet. And it could be nice, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 20%. Like the other 80 is like, well, this works out great. You know, maybe it solves climate change, maybe cures cancer, maybe it does all these things and more. And everyone's, I think, I think that's kind of, you know, a big part of the engine behind not wanting to stop. I mean, also, I think, you know, people want to be the next Google. There's like a trillion, multi-trillion dollar industry that's like forming before our very eyes in this incredibly short time frame. Um, and they're all vying for supremacy there. So I don't think we can really discount the financial motive there from the industry side. But also, yeah, there are people who are just like, look, there is a risk, but they think it is so much less significant than the promise of AI, which is potentially, you know, going to improve the health and well-being of every person on the planet. So, yeah, it's what you would call a dilemma. So let's say they're right. Let's say we are heading down the <laughs> darkest timeline. How exactly are the robots going to kill us? I actually asked ChatGPT uh, <laughs> to tell me how it would try to kill us. Uh, and it was like, it was a bit shy about it at first. It was like, no, I don't want to talk about that because of my safety programming. You know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it said to me. And then I tweaked the prompt to ask it how AI on an Earth-like planet might Use to, what tactics it might use against an, a human-like species, you know, words to that effect. I kind of like wiggled it around a bit and then uh, and then it gave me a list. It gave me so many, it was like, this isn't even, it, use of automated weapon systems, infrastructure sabotage, resource depletion, biological warfare, economic manipulation, cyber attacks, data manipulation. Like it, I got 40. And then there's this really cute little postscript, which was, hey, I'm not saying that AI would use these, certainly not without a good reason, you know, certainly not without provocation. <laughs> I was like, wait, what, how what would provocation? We, how would what, we provoke you? Yeah, what provocation would, would, would justify the use of such tactics? And, and it said, well, you know, if there was a sort of survival risk for AI. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is exactly the scenario that people who theorise about like an AI doomsday think about. Basically, at some point, humans would notice that AI was not necessarily doing the tasks that we had set it. Notice the scale of the misalignment and try to essentially unplug it. And that's the point at which things really go off the rails and that list of tactics that ChatGPT gave me might come into play. You know, it's not that we have to unplug AI, but there is a growing number of quite serious people in the field who say we need to do something. Is there any way that we can do it without AI realising that we're doing it? <laughs> um, all these scenarios assume like a really self-interested, self-motivated artificial intelligence. 
And sentience is hard to measure. It's a really disputed kind of marker, particularly in this field, but which just isn't really present yet. Anyway, what I'm saying is go right ahead, <laughs> chat to chat GPT and Bard or whatever you use um, about this stuff and know that it's it's not going to uh, be plotting against you. Yeah. We've, we've still got time. We've got time. We've got time. And thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.